Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, your host, Sarah Ivry. Today, for Shavuot, we sing the praises of the dairy restaurant. Shavuos, or Shavuot, is upon us. It's the holiday that celebrates the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. There are a lot of ways to celebrate the holiday. You read the Book of Ruth in services. There is the recitation of liturgical poems known as Akdamot. People attend all-night study sessions, which can be quite fun. And they very often indulge in cheesecake, in blintzes, and in other dairy delicacies. Well, why dairy? There are a lot of theories. The one that makes the most sense to me has to do with the laws of kashrut, or keeping kosher. Those laws include complex dietary restrictions, and I've heard it told that rather than risk breaking those rules, say, by improperly slaughtering a goat way back when, the Israelites figured, let's just stick with dairy until all the details of this system are hammered out. Ultimately, the rabbis developed a precise system of meat and dairy separation. For a lot of people, that means two separate sets of dishes. It involves a separation of time between the consumption of meat and the consumption of dairy. And in many cases, it also means separate restaurants, delis versus dairies. That brings us to our podcast today. We invited Eve Jochnowitz, a scholar of Yiddish and a Jewish culinary ethnographer, to meet us at B&H Restaurant on 2nd Avenue in the East Village of New York City. B&H is perhaps the last remaining old-school dairy restaurant in New York. It dates back to 1942. It's changed owners many times, but we're assured that in spite of those changes, the menu has remained largely the same. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. We got ourselves a table, and we started to talk. So you you come here often, or you've been? When you know, you I used to come here all the time. When I used to be a more regular minion attender, I used to go to Shul up on uh, East 14th Street at uh, the town and village Shul. And then I would uh, frequently come and have an omelet here, and the short order cook was a guy named Raul. He was here for decades, and he always said I was the most beautiful woman in the world, and he was so happy to cook for me. And, you know, he said this to everyone who came in, but I happen to know that in my case he really meant it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) As you can see, Second Avenue has just changed so enormously. I've lived uh, in the East Village my whole life, and... um, now it's become quite elegant, really. Uh, sometimes I feel it's too good for the likes of me down here. But this is one place that has uh, hardly changed. I think there are some new items on the menu that there didn't used to be. Lasagna? I don't think there used to be lasagna. We, we'd love to order some food. Um, what would you like? Uh, I would like cheese blintzes, please. Two cheese blintzes, and some pierogies. What kind of like a mix it up? Potato, cheese, sauerkraut, spinach, butter. Sure, yeah, mix it up. How do you like a fried or boiled? Boiled. Boiled. Four or eight? Four, I think, right? Yeah, four. What will mix some gluchero? Thank you. Um, let me ask you, so you grew up here in the village. Can you describe the culinary universe that B&H was once a part of in this neighborhood? Ah, well, the dairy restaurant that my family went to most regularly was, I think, right on this block, a few doors down, it was Ratner's. Not the Ratner's on Delancey Street, but the other Ratner's, the 2nd Avenue Ratner's. And um, that was a place that I remember as being very grand, very big, very lavish. It's probably 
not as grand and big as lavish as my childhood memory of it was, but I, I just remember it being a palace. And um, there were actually a lot of things on the menu that I was scared of then because um, the cheeses tasted very strong to me when I was little, and so I didn't really want to eat anything with cheese in it, which ruled out a huge amount of the menu. But I remember I had the sour cherry pierogin, and uh, that that was something very special. And I uh, also, just the fresh fruit salad, I remember it being fresh and sparkling and bursting with juice, which isn't something you think about at that time, but I, I remember it being something very special. What about non-dairy uh, restaurants? What were some of the kind of staple restaurants in this neighborhood that have been uh, supplanted? Oh, well, heavens, right across the street was the 2nd Avenue Deli, which was just uh, um, just a very important place. I was a vegetarian from a very early age, so there was almost nothing I could eat there either. But it was a place I really always loved to go, um, just loved to go in and smell the pickles, smell the sauerkraut. I loved the smell of the place. So that was really a wonderful neighborhood institution. Also a place I remember as being grand and palatial, although it probably wasn't as grand and palatial as I recall. <laughs> Another disappearing food that I almost never hear anybody talking about is the Jewish appetizing store. There were the delis, and then there was the appetizing where you got uh, dairy products, smoked fish, dried fruits and nuts, and candy. And I don't know if there are any of those places left. Uh, maybe Russen Daughters is uh, the closest that I know of. And those places had a very, very distinctive smell because there was this overpowering very strong smell of the smoked fish and then the overwhelmingly sweet smell of all the fruit and candy and the combination was again too strong for me as a child but I'm sure I would think it was the most beautiful thing in the world <laughs> if I smelled one of those places now oh here's the food yeah you can put it right there thank you that's great thank you my pleasure enjoy <laughs> thanks so let's yeah let's try some of this so we've got pierogies here and blintzes Mm. These are great. Mm. Good. Yeah, very doughy, as pierogi tend to be. I think you should probably roll out the dough a little thinner. May I try a little yeah, of your sauerkraut? Yeah, of course, pierog? Yeah, pierogin. Uh, pierogin is one of the words in Yiddish that we only use in the plural. If you want just one, which never happens, of course. <laughs> but if, theoretically, you wanted just one, you would say, I'll have one of the pierogin. You won't use the word in the singular. Uh-huh. That's good to know. Oh, you know what's missing? The fried onions. Oh. Where's our guy? Um, can we get fried onions? Yeah, some yeah, fried, some onions. fried onions. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Eve, I'm just curious. What are the origins of the dairy restaurant? I'm not really sure what the origins are. Certainly, um, restaurants in general were not, until fairly modern times, going to be a big deal uh, in the Jewish population, which was not until the middle of the 19th century really urbanized or affluent enough to be supporting restaurants. Mm -hmm. There were inns, mm -hmm. uh, which turn up uh, in a lot of uh, literature. But once there are Jewish dairy restaurants, they're very popular both among Jews and among local non-Jews. In Europe or here, excuse in me? In Europe. Uh -huh. um, I know that in Poland, at least, there is uh, a genre of restaurants called bar mlechne, milk bars. Mlechne in Polish is M-L-E-C-Z-N-E. And these are places that have basically the menu of what we would consider the Jewish dairy restaurant. Uh, although they're not kosher, so there might be some meat in a couple of items. Uh -huh. And I imagine that 
these roots of these restaurants must have been the influence of the Jewish dairy restaurants. I can't think of any other reason to have a specifically milk restaurant in the Polish context. Now, I understand you've spent the last few years basically up to your elbows in uh, recipes from a dairy restaurant from Vilna. Tell us a little bit about that project, what it is, and, and how it got underway. Oh, thank you. I would love to. Uh, this is the project uh, on which I have been working furiously uh, for the last uh, two years, and it is the uh, translation and annotation and adaptation of a cookbook by a chef and educator named Fania Levando. She had a restaurant in the Schulhof in Vilna, which was in Poland in uh, the 1930s before the war. The Schulhof was the center of Jewish cultural and commercial activity in uh, Vilna. And uh, the restaurant apparently was very popular. She has um, encomiums in her guest book from every literary personality uh, who was active in uh, Vilna uh, in the 1930s. Neuer Prelutsky, uh, Mark Chagall, um, everybody was there. Uh, it's a very rare book, but it's a very interesting collection. In her introduction, she champions vegetarianism primarily as a uh, health strategy, uh, that this is a health food cookbook. The title of the book in Yiddish was actually Vegetarischer Dietischer Kochbuch, the Vegetarian Dietetic Cookbook. But she also champions vegetarianism from the Jewish ethical point of view, that uh, a, an important value in Judaism is tzar balechayim, kindness to animals, and that upholding this value uh, is best exercised through vegetarianism. What do we know about Fania? We don't know all that much about Fania. She and her husband uh, were murdered in the Holocaust. She has uh, surviving relatives in England, in Israel, uh, in the United States, and in Australia. There is one nephew in Australia who remembers having met her. And the recipes, although she's promoting vegetarianism, are they actually healthy recipes or are they... Well, I think they're very healthy recipes, but they are very buttery and rich. They use what, uh, to our contemporary uh, consciousness, is a prodigal amount of butter. There's a half cup of butter in almost everything. <laughs> I really enjoyed testing and preparing these recipes. They are so delicious. Did you make every one? Oh, heavens no. There are more than 400 recipes, but I made uh, more than 75 of them. What are some of your favorites? I love the rice knedlich stuffed with mushrooms. It's a long, complicated recipe, but it's wonderful. You make a very rich, buttery dough out of cooked rice and eggs and breadcrumbs. And then you make a filling out of dried wild mushrooms. And you stuff the rice bowls with the filling. You saute them in yet more butter. You sprinkle them with breadcrumbs and you bake them in yet more butter. And they are, oh, they are wonderful. <laughs> they are heavenly. Oh, and you make a mushroom sauce to go with them. That's also really, really nice. I think the most thrilling recipe to, in the book for me is the potato pickle soup, which is made with potatoes and pickled cucumbers, which sounds like a terrible idea, yeah. but it is wonderful. It's a creamy soup, and the sourness and the richness balance each other perfectly. Were there any recipes in her book that just would be impossible to make now, that just can't travel time and distance? 
She has a recipe for keeping summer eggs fresh all winter long. Uh, hens lay a lot more eggs in the summer because the days are longer. Uh, modern industrial agriculture solves that problem by keeping the lights on all night and uh, tricking the hens into thinking that it's always daytime. But um, in Vilna, summer eggs were much more plentiful and affordable than winter eggs. So there's a method of keeping fresh eggs all winter, which is to um, whitewash a barrel, fill the barrel with whitewash, allow it to settle, drain out the liquid, pour this liquid into a second barrel and preserve the eggs in that liquid. I don't think anybody's going to be trying that at home. You didn't try it. No, no, that's one of the recipes <laughs> I didn't manage to test. Eve, what do you like to eat most of all in Shavuot? I'm so glad you asked. Of course, uh, I always make blintzes on Shavuos, but if you want to know what my real favorite thing to eat on Shavuos is, I have started in the last few years to develop vegan recipes for Shavuos because I just realized that vegans are really left out of all of the joy and delight on Shavuos. And um, so I have made some absolutely wonderful vegan desserts, uh, not using dairy substitutes, God forbid, which have killed more Jews than all of our enemies. But the Yiddish word for cheesecake, or one of the many Yiddish words for cheesecake, is sernik. And the Yiddish word for a nut or seed or kernel is kern. So a kernik is a cheesecake made out of nuts, seeds, or kernels. So I have a number of kernik recipes. Uh, made out of uh, pureed pistachios or cashews or walnuts or hemp seeds. And I make that into a milk and make cheesecakes out of those. And those are my very special Shavuos treats. I always make a vegetarian kernik for Shavuos. That sounds terrific. Eve Jaknowitz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Eve Jocknowitz teaches Yiddish and also Jewish culinary history in New York City. Her translation of Fania Lavando's cookbook is going to be imminently published by Yivo. If you like the sound of that pickle and potato soup and of the knedelach made from rice and mushroom with the mushroom sauce, sounds pretty good. Eve was very kind and she's sharing both recipes with us. You can find them on our website, tabletmag.com. Last but not least, we want to give a shout-out to the delicious blintzes and the pierogi and the warm service here at B&H Restaurant on 2nd Avenue. For the record, their soups are also very delicious. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. As always, we thank you for listening. We wish you a very happy Shavuot. Chag Sameach.